welcome to Offkey, a Membrane Labs podcast about music's professionals for non-music professionals. I'm your host, Linda Arnold. Welcome back to Offkey. Today I'm talking to Catherine Calder, who's both a musician and the founder of the local Victoria label Oscar Street Records. In addition to her solo career, Catherine's also been part of numerous music projects from her first band Immaculate Machine to the new pornographers and most recently Front Person. We talked about how she got her start in music and what eventually led her to starting her own label. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Thank you so much for coming by for an interview. It was really <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> but Catherine, where did you grow up? You're from Victoria. I'm from right? Victoria. Yeah. yeah, I grew up in Victoria. Um, I spent a few years of my life in Europe um, when I was a kid. Um, my dad got a job uh, as a teacher at an international school. And so our whole family moved there as sort of like a European European experience Um yeah. So and then other and then I came back. We all came back, and then uh, and then I've lived here. <laughs> Sorry, where did you say in Europe? Holland. Mm. Holland. Yeah, oh, okay. The Netherlands. Cool. Yeah. Where in the Netherlands? It's this you? very small little town that nobody even when I go to Holland sometimes with a band, um, nobody uh, up north seems to really know <laughs> where the city mm-hmm. is. It's like crickets when I say it. They're yeah. like, okay. But there are so many little small towns, but it's a little town called Brunsum. Okay, cool. Yeah. And so it's in the south. It's really close to Germany. Okay, nice. You know, like a 15-minute drive. Yeah, yeah. You know, gets you to Germany. So it's that kind of a... Did you travel a lot in Europe and stuff when you were living there? Yeah, we did. We took advantage uh, because it was so... Everything is so close. Yeah. You know, you go skiing... And you know you're you're in the Alps. You can like drive, yeah. You like can for drive minutes, there. You're in another country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we we definitely took advantage, and we did a lot of like you know went to Italy and went to Greece, and mm. I had, you know it was really amazing. Yeah, I wish we had that type of, like, I wish we could like do something similar like that in Canada. Yeah, like, or you could like you know do those little weekend trips that yeah. were just a little bit more. I mean, you can do a lot of them here, but it's like there's something really exciting about being able to like leave the country yeah like i mean the the cultures are so different mm-hmm. you know and so so you leave and you drive to germany and you really are in germany mm-hmm. you know you, i mean you're not in holland anymore no. and and although they are similar they are definitely different yeah. and same with italy it's different you know and even regionally in italy the culture is very different so it yeah it's it's it was cool it was really cool cool how old are you when you i was nine okay cool <clears throat> to 12 yeah that's a cool time, I yeah. feel like, to be yeah. able to experience such big changes in culture. I yeah. think it's very good for children to go through that. Yeah, I think, you know, like, I, I had a really positive experience um, overall. You know, I had, I learned Dutch, I, ha- I made Dutch friends, you know. I think that, I don't know, it, it was definitely um, one of those experiences that you have as a kid that you, you just that I realize now is un- sort of unusual, mm-hmm. 
like I at the time when you're like I feel like it felt normal because what what did I know about what normal was you know like we were moving to Europe of course you know that's what my parents said was happening yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's what we did um and then but looking back I'm like wow what a like what a kind of an amazing experience like I I don't know I, I don't know it's just not something that happens every day that you know, your family just decides to move to Europe for three years. What did your parents do? My parents were both teachers. Okay. And um, and so we had this connection with the Netherlands because my uncle um, and aunt both played in the orchestra in Holland. Mm-hmm. And so we already had family there. Yeah. So, th- so that was, I think, part of the reason. Yeah. Sorry. That we noise went. is the ceiling fan oh okay construction coming on <laughs> okay so I was gonna ask kind of how you first got into music and yeah. it sounds like there's like mu- there's some music in your family obviously definitely music in the family my my mom and dad both played piano and um so there was always they were always playing when I was growing up and I naturally gravitated towards it um, towards the piano in particular, but also singing. I was in choirs and, you know, I, I felt like, I always felt like music was easy for me. It was yeah. sort of an easy thing, you know, it was like, it made sense. Like I was always really good at it. You know, I always mm-hmm. got a lot of positive feedback from yeah, people yeah. about <laughs> it, which I think is encouraging for kids. Um, and so, so it's just something that I've kind of always done. Did you know kind of growing up that it's something that you wanted to get into professionally or was it very much just a hobby at this point well um I don't I I feel like it was probably both although at the time it felt very serendipitous like Mm -hmm. or very like I kind of just fell into it but um like when I talked to family members about when I was a teenager you know 13 and 14 they would say thought they would tell me that I would say things like, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a singer in a band. And I don't remember this at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, uh, having that kind of an idea was in my mind. And I, I loved music, and I loved, like, pop music when I was a teenager. Yeah. And I watched a lot of much music, like, all mm-hmm. the time, <laughs> like, any time after school. And I, I don't know. So I, I think and – then, and then the decisions I made – led me sort of there you know like the people that I chose to hang out with um, were musicians and were interested in music and the programs that I did at school were music programs and so uh, you know all of those all of those choices sort of slowly kind of led me down this path but it, it never felt like something that I was ambitiously kind of like going for it was always something that happened to happen in some way but I do think that there were decisions being made on my end Mm -hmm. that made it more likely that 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 would be a possibility you went to Vikai I did I only know that because Tarn was like I went to school with Catherine oh that's so funny yeah I went to Vikai Mm -hmm. and I did the rhythm and blues I was gonna say program the R&B band was it still um Mr. MD that was doing it yeah he taught me clarinet when I was in grade one okay yeah (laughs) yeah and that that was the first um that was the first experience I had singing 
into a microphone in okay. front of a band. Because up until that point, I'd only ever been in choirs or I'd only ever played, like I played the trumpet when I was in junior high. And I, and I sang and I played piano, but never, never in a band. Oh, only classical piano up until yeah. that point. And I originally was going to audition for the R&B band for trumpet because that's what I was really into at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I took one look at the sheet music, which is like the, like they, they give you, um, you know, music to read mm-hmm. at, for the audition. And I was like, this is too hard. There's no way. Like, and I thought I was a pretty good trumpet player, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like sort of. Um, and I looked and I was like, there is no way, like, I can't, I can't hit these notes. Like, this is too hard. And so instead I auditioned for vocals without really like, even really thinking, I don't know anything of it. I just was like, okay, actually, I don't think I could do trumpet, but maybe I could try vocals. Yeah, and I, like, I can read English. Yeah, like, I'll, yeah, like, I'll try that. And, um, and yeah, and, and then that was kind of, and then I was kind of hooked from then, you know, because like. I don't know, anybody that's sung karaoke knows what it feels like to sing into a microphone. Like, it's fun, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, that was, that was the, the beginning. That was the beginning. Well, it wasn't the beginning, but it was one of the beginnings. Yeah, it's a really good program. Yeah, it's great. It's a great program, yeah. So kind of how – this might be how people – might know you the most I guess in terms of popular projects that you've worked on um but how did you first get involved with the new pornographers right well um you know again in kind of a long and winding story um that I'll try and be quick (laughs) about (laughs) you don't have to be too quick okay (laughs) okay but um so I guess there are a couple of avenues here and one of them is sort of what I'd been doing musically up until then which is that I had been performing in bands and in touring and doing Canadian tours and stuff and U.S. tours I guess I can't I can't actually quite remember but we were doing touring anyway and uh, so that was my old band Immaculate Machine and I was the keyboardist and singer in that band and I remember one day we got offered a gig that was put on a, a by a friend of mine who I met at at the Vic High R&B band mm-hmm. and he put he was putting on this show this all ages show with this band called the evaporators and the evaporators are um, the lead sort of the, ma- the main sort of you know lead singer I guess behind the evaporators is Nardwar mm-hmm. the human serviette who's a very <laughs> popular <laughs> public figure these days and so and one of the and the bass player in that band is John Collins, and John Collins played in the New Pornographers and plays in the New Pornographers. He's my band now, bandmate in the <laughs> New Pornographers. But he played. We played this show, and um, I remember John mentioning to me at the show, like he saw saw us play, and he kind of casually mentioned, he's like, you know, we're like looking for a singer <clears throat> for the New Pornographers, and you know, you could be could be like really great, and and you know, like at the time I was. I was like, well, that sounds really cool and is never going to, literally never going to happen. So I didn't think anything of it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I always felt like that kind of conversation was so casual that it was like, oh, cool. Well, yeah, that'd be great. You know? <laughs> was this kind of like right out of like high school? This, time? I would have been like, so like, I probably would have been like 21 or 22. Okay. Yeah. 22, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe older, maybe 23, but somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, 
22, I think. And, um, and so, so, so that was happening. So there was that kind of like, but then on the other side, um, on like a more like, like family side is that when I was, I guess maybe about 14 or 15, my mom found her birth family. My mom was adopted as a baby and they had just opened the adoption registry in BC, I guess, or maybe in Canada. And so it allowed mothers to connect with children Mm -hmm. that up until that point, it had all been closed. And I remember my mom coming into my bedroom one morning being like, I've got this, like, I found my birth mother. Her parents had both passed away by that point. Mm-hmm. And it was just this really crazy kind of, like, experience where all of a sudden, like, we had this whole new family that we met. Um, you know, my mom and her mom, they sent letters, and, and then we they had a phone call, and then we yeah. went over to meet them. And my mother's half-brother... Mm-hmm. Okay, is Carl Newman from the New Pornographers? Okay, so so like so I had this like dual kind of track going on where at one point I was performing and I was playing music and I was in bands and I was doing all that and then on the other hand I had this prior relationship with Carl and the New Pornographers and that was kind of like how I met John was by like introducing myself as like you know mm-hmm. like. I know Carl and I'm his niece and you know then through this kind of long lost like family connection Mm -hmm. so uh, so between both of those um I got I kind of I got offered to sing on twin cinema on the record uh, in 2005 one of the you know like um I don't know one of the new pornographers records that people seem to really love (laughs) (laughs) and so and then I got offered like a trial run of gigs that summer of 2005 um, in the in the U.S. Um, with the band, and then they just kept asking me to come on tour, and so I just kept going on tour cool. <laughs> with them, and then uh, and then I was in the band. And you play keyboard and do like yeah vocals vocals for them as well yeah yeah like I was originally hired. Um, to be there uh, when Nico couldn't make a show because mm. there were some shows. So Nico Case is one of the singers in the band and still is. But she has her very busy solo career that that she does. And um, so she wasn't able to make a lot of the gigs that the new pornographers were getting offered at the time. And so they were looking for somebody who could come in and like just kind of fill the a female vocal role. Mm-hmm. So they they hired me, and then since then, um, you know we have a, we have other singers, another singer, um, Simi, with us now, and you know it's so it's like it's evolved over mm-hmm. the years. That's um, cool though. But yeah, that's that was how I got my start. Cool. And I was yeah like twenty three at the time. Were you at that time doing music kind of professionally, like as your job, or was it still? I was doing it. Um, as professionally as I could, yeah, you know, which meant I wasn't, you know, like I was sort of half in school, like I was sort of half at UVic, but um, m- mostly putting my effort into music, into songwriting, into touring, which requires you take a lot of time off and leave. Yeah, and, it works out and, really well <laughs> with the school schedule. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, you know, I was doing it professionally. I don't really know, like, 
you know, I still had to have other jobs, yeah. you know, and things, but I was putting most of my effort and time yeah. into it at the time. To backtrack a little bit, was then the R&B band at Vic High almost kind of like your first foray into maybe like, quote unquote, more popular music? Or Yeah, I think it was because it was where I met my bandmates um, mm-hmm. for my first band, Immaculate Machine. They were both, one of them I think was the guitar player, one of them was the drummer, cool. you know, for the R&B band. And, um, or maybe one of them was vocalist. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> I don't remember, but at any rate, we all became friends. And then, um, you know, we were in bands and stuff together. And then, and so, so I would say that it was, you know, like when, you know, when I read, just as a weird aside, but when I read the Keith Richards autobiography, Mm -hmm. like he talks about meeting his bandmates in school, you know, and I think that just meeting people with the same interests, you know, who like the same kind of music. Um, I think that that naturally would happen at school, you know, because that's where you spend all of your time as a kid, you know, or a lot of your time is at school. Um, Or finding some other kind of place where that would happen. Um, So that that music program was kind of a natural and just lucked out. You know, I just kind of lucked out in meeting, you know, my friends. Yeah, totally. I think too, like, when you're in high school and like around that age the people that you meet in kind of niche settings like that you do like if you get along you do really latch on to because they're at like a pretty vulnerable time yeah that it makes sense yeah and you know um it it's not that easy to find people that share an interest Mm -hmm. that you feel really compatible with Mm -hmm. you know I feel like that's maybe not that all that common I mean maybe it's more common when you're in school and you're like you know like kind of variable in what you could be interested in you know Mm -hmm. like you're still kind of figuring it out and that was like very formative you know meeting that group of people because they were all into music and up until that point um, I was mostly into sports Mm -hmm. you know like at least like uh, like not really (laughs) (laughs) you know I was always into music but I was also into sports or dance and like rowing I did all kinds of stuff you know gymnastics like I was like all over the place you know in terms of my interests and I still feel like I am like I have a lot of interests as well but um I think that was the first time I'd really met a group of people that like really that I you know I just felt shared my music interest in a way that we could actually make something fun happen yeah with it you know up until that point I'd been like like I have this kind of memory of me wanting to be a composer I put in air quotes here because (laughs) (laughs) you know I had this like I remember I had a friend who was really interested in ballet and I was like oh you know it'd be so cool as if I'm like you know I think I'm probably like 13 or 14 or something at this time I'll be like oh it's you know I'll do the piano uh, like composing and you do the dancing and we'll like make a ballet like mm-hmm. in my mind like like, no the, like like yeah and I think I got like one page into it and was like whoa this is super hard <laughs> <laughs> and, you know to do on your own all mm-hmm. on your own like that you're like, I'm just gonna compose like but in my mind those were the kinds of ideas that I like you know mm-hmm. kind of wanted to do and so um when I met 
when I met like my friends in high school who you know they were able to kind of help me make things happen mm-hmm. like oh you know I can be in a band oh now I can write songs like for this band or now I can like you know that that kind of like just that kind of team or something you know makes things possible yeah totally mm-hmm. and yeah I guess like you're able like opportunities arise that are maybe a little bit too daunting on your own maybe yeah like composing yeah like you scores. know composing a ballet score yeah <laughs> You know, perhaps if I'd had, like, I don't know, like, if I'd had a bunch of friends who were all, you know, like, symphony musicians or something when I was 13, you know, maybe we could have, we would have. Yeah, if I just had a symphony, (laughs) my my compositions would have come to life one day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So in addition to Immaculate Machine and New Pornographers, you also have a few solo projects yes. as well. Yes. How was it different, I guess, in terms of writing music? Because mm-hmm. um, I know that with New Pornographers, you did write music for and, like, with the band as well. Yeah. How was writing for your solo projects and, like, working on that kind of different, I guess, in terms of process, maybe? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny, like, um, I've just had the experience that every group of people that I work with, the experience is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, with the new pornographers, it, like, the parts have been pretty collaborative, um, for the most part, maybe, yeah, um, where, you know, like, I have, I, I, I well, it's funny that the process has actually also changed over the years, which is why I'm sort of like, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I'm like, st- like struggling to come up with a summary of the process because um, it has changed. So with the new pornographers, what would happen is typically is that I would go into the studio with Carl, who I talked about earlier, mm-hmm. who's the main songwriter and, you know, kind of like visionary yeah. <laughs> for the band. And John Collins, who's often producing record with Carl and also like kind of, you know, like has a vision. Um, and so I would go into the studio with those two in particular. They would have already worked on the songs for a long time. This is like a typical process. Mm-hmm. And then it changes sometimes. <laughs> um, and and I would go into the studio and I would, you know, sing. I'd have lyrics. They would ask me to sing like, okay, can you do this part? And I'd sing it. And then um, they'd ask me to play keyboards and I'd, you know, like they're just kind of throwing songs at me that I haven't heard before and Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of like like their lyrical content as well yeah like none of this you know I've heard up until I walk into the studio generally and so it's all a little bit like like I never remember what I've done Mm -hmm. because it's all such a blur and and then they go away and they kind of chop up the 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 instruments and and they do their crazy whatever they do change Carl's constantly changing how he writes a song so he's always um like how what I mean is that Carl changes his songs up until the last minute Mm -hmm. so even if I play on say like a verse it's not really guaranteed that that verse is even going to sound like that by the time the song is actually like on the shelf you know Mm -hmm. so it's been a very watching Carl work and watching him put together songs has been very interesting because he, do you, um, the expression kill your darlings, um, I haven't heard of which it, yeah. is um, like 
basically don't like don't be afraid to kill the most precious idea if it's not working Mm -hmm. so like you can be really attached to your ideas but if they aren't really working then then they're then they're done you know Mm -hmm. so this kind so he's very like fast and loose with ideas and I think that that certainly has had an impact on me and how I view parts for songs is it's kind of like well this is what I came up with today (laughs) so I came up I came up with this part today and if it's no longer serving the song then it's gone right and and like (laughs) yeah and so like if it's no longer like working for whatever reason then you kind of just make the choice like okay it's gone and I'll come up with some other part Mm. and uh, okay so I'm feeling feel like I'm being really long-winded here but so the new pornographers that's how the songwriting goes and that's how my experience was up until maybe the last couple of records where um you know carl will send me a song mm-hmm. in advance and i've been able to work on it at home and kind of come up with parts um, which i like because <clears throat> it means that i get to think about it yeah. for a minute <laughs> you know and like come up with something that i feel really good about and you know send it back and if he decides it you know, for whatever reason, it doesn't suit the song. So it's so like, so where I used to kind of go into the studio, now the process is changing a little bit where I'm doing a lot more work on my own, which I like. And part of that, I guess my point with this is part of the change for that is that at some point, I think maybe like around, I don't know, like 2013-ish, I learned to record myself. So up until, so I've been like, playing music for a long time mm-hmm. and up until 2012 2013 I really relied on having access to a studio or having access to an engineer um, to help me record my music and so just as another side note of a million side notes <laughs> my husband Colin Stewart is a producer and a recording engineer and so I was very fortunate to have him really on my side um, and he was like, you know, I really like we should just set you up with like, like just a really kind of like a, a recording situation mm-hmm. so that you could work on your songs on your own without constantly needing to book studio time. Because as musicians know, <clears throat> booking studio time is expensive and requires, you know, like um, it's expensive and you have to kind of know what you want when you go in. And this way, being able to record on my own, I was able to you know, like work on the songs within the recording process rather than having the songs and the recording process be separate. Yeah. They became one thing where I could write the song within. So once I was able to do that, it really like opened up a lot of, um, I don't know, a lot of creative potential because then I could, it kind of changed how I wrote and Mm -hmm. how I recorded in, in a very interesting way. And, and so that's partly why I've been able to now do these parts for the new pornographers from my house is because I can yeah. now. And that was like, that was, I don't know, there's like a, a few certain kind of like game changers that, uh, that happen. And I feel like that was one of them for mm-hmm. me. One of them that allowed me, you know, the ability to just make whatever I wanted you know I mean you know within reason of course I can't play the drums and stuff but like you know you can come up you can do a lot yeah in your space and come up with parts and ideas and then get somebody to play them and that's a lot more um affordable than 
than trying to construct a record on the fly in a recording studio. You know, it's it's amazing if you can do that, but not everybody has the, you know, has the ability to do that. So my process has changed over the years. I When I was first doing my solo records, there was a lot of, I, I really wanted to express myself. <laughs> so my first solo record that I did, the circumstances behind that were that um, my mom had been diagnosed with ALS or mm-hmm. Lou Gehrig's disease when I was like about uh, 24. So okay. it was really not very long after I joined the New Pornographers that I got this horrible news, yeah. you know, about my mom. And, and like, you know, the, the kind of average is about three years that you have with the illness. N- not always, you know, Stephen Hawking is like a, um, an example of somebody that lived for a very long time with ALS. So I had this idea that like, okay, 50%. It's like a horrible statistic and a horrible, you know, the, these are, but these were the stats. It's sort of like 50% of people who've been diagnosed with ALS are going to pass away in like three years. So I had this like in my mind and I'm kind of like, okay, like, I feel like I have to do something, you know, like when I think like I, I, I have to like, I don't know, like do something here. Yeah. And so I decided that what I was going to do is I was going to make a solo record for my mom, basically, it gave me kind of a reason to do it, gave me this motivation, gave me something really positive that I could do during a time that was, yeah, you know, not course. not very positive. And I and I didn't know what a Catherine Calder solo record sound was gonna would sound like. I didn't mm-hmm. even really know because up until that point, I had been most of my songwriting that I'd been doing had been with Immaculate Machine. And we were always jamming songs mm-hmm. out, you know, so I'd bring half a song in and I'd bring it to the band and we'd <clears throat> work on it together. So I could always kind of get away with writing like about 45 or 65, you know, somewhere in there, a percent of a song. And if I got stuck, then I would like bring it to the guys and be like, okay, this is what I have. And what do you think? And then we would all work on it together. And so I was really curious at the same time as this sort of like tra- like tragedy was like playing out in like other parts of my life. I was also really curious like what I would do with free reign, you know, yeah. like complete control. <laughs> and that was appealing <laughs> to me at the time. Maybe like a like I needed something that I was completely in control of, yeah, or something like that. Probably, you know what I mean? Because everything because everything else was uh, completely out of my control. Yeah. So I was like really craving this, like this just like blank, like slate where I could do. I had these songs, and because it was such an emotional time, the the songs I feel have like a certain kind of emotional weight, but. You know, because that's what kind of what happens when you go through something really emotional and you're a creative person, you tend to like put it into your work. And um, yeah, so I had these songs and um, I had this like kind of idea and I had a timeline and I had the motivation and um, I wanted it to be kind of for my mom. So it wasn't something like I I wanted to make it kind of positive, you know, as well, like something that it wasn't going to be totally depressing if she put it on and listened to it. Yeah. You know, I wanted it to be like meaningful and, you know, but not like a real downer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it was kind of like this. So it started 
so that was another kind of like really important moment like you know in turn like personally but also creatively when I decided like you know to just try to try this new project um and it involved you know like a whole bunch of other things you know along with it like like leading a band and performing live and you know being the kind of front and center which was not a role I had ever really taken up until that point I was always like one of a group and I like that role um and I just I wanted to see what it was like to 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 step into something more um like front and center I guess and so um so yeah, so it's changed a lot <laughs> over the years, and my songwriting's changed um, naturally because you know you just grow. And I'm somebody that gets really impatient if I don't feel like I'm like moving forward. Yeah, and so I don't want to write the same songs. You know, I want to write different songs. I want to write better songs. I want to like keep improving. I like am like learning about songwriting and learning about arranging and you know I think all of those things and then so and then I have this new project front person which is kind of a combo of all those other experiences which is um, writing with somebody which is not technically something that I do tend to do these days but yeah that's been amazing too um, because my bandmate Mark isn't somebody who has a lot of ideas and so he just throws these ideas out and like why don't we try this and then you know we kind of do it and it's like yeah that sounds really cool I don't know it's every person that you work with is slightly different so it sounds like you're really good at adapting yourself to fit other people's like creative process like it sounds like you've like learned to be really flexible with that because even though you said you find that working yourself in the studio is like good and like you like being able to like take things but you've like worked successfully in other instances where people kind of have more of yeah like a free-flowing approach whereas like I know for me personally when I'm doing any kind of creative or other type of work everything needs to be like you know what I mean like everything needs to be like clean and like ready to go like my space needs to be like clear before I can even start right whereas then other people you know the they'll like make a creative mess and like that's what they do so it's really cool that you've been able to yeah take your style but also adapt it well to fit with other people because I don't think that's something that a lot of people can do hmm interesting I I um I appreciate that thank you (laughs) (laughs) I don't know like um I feel uh, uh, sometimes I like I would I would say these like you know, really definitive statements about myself. Like, um, like I, like maybe like a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, I was on this songwriting panel mm-hmm. and with a bunch of other people in Vancouver and we were kind of talking to, you know, aspiring songwriters about the, you know, the process of songwriting. And, you know, everybody was talking about co-writing and how they love co-writing and they're all about co-writing. And I was like, oh my God, like, I can't co-write, you know, like I, I don't like it. <laughs> and I, and I like, because I'm so private about my, like, I get really self-conscious if other people are listening to me while I'm working on something that's not finished. Yeah. That like, I don't, I don't like writing with people. 
Um, and I got a couple of people who were like kind of appreciative of, of my perspective because they felt the same way. And yeah. I think it's okay to be many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yet I have these experiences where I am co-writing with people and it's fine and you just kind of make it work mm-hmm. for your process, you know. And so my favorite, my favorite way to co-write is not in a room with somebody, but on my own with somebody's music and then we kind of co-write it that way where I have time to kind of think about it so I think there's a combination of like adapting to to somebody's to what somebody else you know I think there's like yeah yeah, like an like an an adapting and then also knowing who you are and like how best you're going to succeed yeah in your in your whatever it is that you're doing and so hopefully by combining the two you can kind of find the people that you work well with that that will accept that you need your privacy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because I've worked with so many people who don't need privacy, and I, I like don't understand it. I think yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> like when I read when I read stories about Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones going in and like whipping out vocal parts with lyrics, like improvisationally, or even like. Um, people doing like rap battles and stuff like that yeah. where they're like improving this like really fast super smart like like or or you know I have friends who you know are like really just totally fine with throwing stuff out there in front of people and just and I'm just like wow like that's an amazing talent that I really appreciate in you that I am not like that is not something I can do or want to do or you know it's not something I can gonna be able to improve upon you know um and so I think yeah like both I think you know adapting and then knowing what how you work best yeah I think that's important and knowing kind of like when to put your foot down about something yeah when something you're like like, oh this is great but like I'm not going to be like very productive in this environment yes exactly yeah Yeah, communicating yeah yeah like what you need yeah to do your job Mm -hmm. yeah chemistry is like a big thing that we've talked about like I've talked about with a few artists and like managers and things and yeah everyone has kind of said a lot of it just comes down to who you're working with and yeah and how 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 well you get along and how comfortable you feel you know with people and 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 that's why it's so great that there's so many different types of people yeah making music so that you find the people that you like to work with and you just kind of naturally gravitate there and you find you find what works for you yeah totally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so to kind of continue with talking about your solo works yeah. i'd read that kind of following the passing of your parents and your two albums are you my brother and bright and vivid that you had kind of written the content for a new album i read this on your website yes and then kind of decided to like throw it all to the drawing board yes and i guess this is on the topic as well about songwriting maybe um can you like tell me a little bit more about that and then since then maybe like why you decided to change your style or like yeah 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 um well, fundamentally, so so I guess the backstory behind it. So the so are you my mother and bright and vivid? Um, they came out like pretty close together. They came out about a year apart. I'd been working on are you my mother for like a while before it came out, and then you know kind of like my mom passed away, and so it didn't get released until after I was kind of ready 
in quotes. You know, I didn't want to release it at all in that period where it was, things were kind of at their like worst. You know, I'd made yeah. the record. Was that the record you made for your yeah, mom? For my as mom well. Was, yeah, for my mom. Was Are You My Mother? Yeah. And then she passed away. And then about a year later, I released. I released the record. Yeah. And then I had also been working on this other record at the at the time, um, Bright and Vivid, and I released that in 2011, a, a year after mm-hmm. Are You My Mother. And I did all this touring, and um, I came home, and I think I was just burnt out. Yeah. I was just tired, like so tired, completely tired. You yeah, know, I was like... like every I'd, aspect. Yeah, in every aspect. I had put all this effort and energy into like keeping going in the kind of wake of like my parents passing away and I was like I'm just gonna keep going and I did all this you know I did all these things and new pornographers were releasing records like it was busy you know and um and I was just like done (laughs) yeah and yet still trying to write and still trying to kind of keep going and pushing myself and so what happened was I wrote all these songs that weren't very good <laughs> is what is fundamentally what happened. And the thing about that is that that is normal. Mm-hmm. That's like you have to write all these songs that aren't very good. Like I, I've written a million songs that aren't very good, you know, in my life. And the ones that make it to where people are listening to them are ones that I like. But mm-hmm. to just like for whatever reason, stick around. I like them. I liked how they worked out for one reason or another and that that is the process and so but what happened is that I was you know kind of recording these songs that I wasn't I actually just don't think I was that interested in but I was trying to make this record and at a certain point I can't remember I just had this I had a realization that I just wasn't really very happy with how anything was sounding I didn't really want to work on any of it and it was like I didn't know what the problem was so I kind of started again I was like you know what I think I have to like start again (laughs) and I I was struggling with um there's this thing that happens when you you know or you know we all anybody who does any work in in something that they've done a lot you run into this problem where you just feel like you're doing the same thing again. And so I was trying to use the same tricks and the same tactics to get like a really inspired song out of me that I'd been using up until that point and I was tired and nothing was working. And so it was around that time that I learned to record myself so that these things happen at the same time. So I had been asked to do this web, like to be a composer for this web series um, from somebody that I didn't know. He just reached out and was like, hey, I'm doing this web series and I'm wondering, I really like your music and I'm wondering if you would like compose some music. We're looking for something like indie rock. You know, I can't remember Mm -hmm. the conversation we had, but I was kind of like, oh, cool. That seems like something like I could do. And so he needed it, you know, like a lot of people like fast turn around, you know? And so Colin, my husband, set me up with this recording station mm-hmm. and he's like, okay, here you go. You know, you need it. You need to work on this. I'm working on this. This is what I'm doing for the next two weeks. I'm going to make this, this like composition for this, um, 
the score for this web series and Colin helped me put together all the pieces to enable me to do that and through that experience of having to be really fast and like like have to come up with ideas like mm-hmm. short time frame um, you know a totally new experience of recording myself having the freedom of just like trying a bunch of stuff and like throwing it out I was totally inspired like I was like oh my god this is amazing this is like and and so some of those songs turned into songs that made it onto the next record like okay. like 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 maybe not even made it but were kind of the new sound that I was going for I'd sort of found this way into the next record that I'd been looking for and had been like hitting a wall uh, yeah. all the way up until that point and, and by like, I'm like, what, what about this? No, what about this? Nah, these are all just, all just sounds the same and yeah, not as like good. Formulaic. And frustrating. Almost. And yeah, like, yeah. And like, none of the melodies are very exciting and I don't sound excited. It doesn't sound exciting and I'm not excited. You know, it's like, yeah. like those, like, it's like, this is not, I can't, I can't like force people to listen to something like this that I, I can't even stand behind. <laughs> myself so through this this kind of like happenstance scenario I was able to like figure out how to record myself and then I started with sounds rather than with lyrics or with melodies I started with sort of like well still melodies but but mainly kind of sounds that I could use that were that were interesting and and fun and inspiring to me so a lot of those came from just like all kinds of experiments with sounds like like synthesizer kind of yeah like like a like I don't know it's hard to really describe but I find that sound can really lead you to new sounds Mm -hmm. you know so like I would find a like a like a patch you know, like some kind of stock sound on the, one of the keyboard software packages, you know, yeah. and it's attached to my keyboard and I'd hit a note and like the sound would come out. And if I liked the sound, then then it was like, great. And then I'd like put some chords in or like, you know, kind of like make it something its own, make it something unique. And if it wasn't quite right, I would find all these other ways you have like you know these things called plugins where you like put them on a sound and they change the sound so you can add reverb or you can add crazy reverb you know you can add like you can add echoes where the sound has changed and now instead of just being like wah it's like wah 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 you know you you can do like all this stuff to change the sound into something that's you know unique and interesting so I was just experimenting with sounds and and then putting melodies that I felt like singing on top of them. And so like through these different kinds of processes, I found my way into the next record. And some of the parts from what I like, you know, like tossed out actually made it into the next record. Like one of the songs on my last solo record from 2015, um, one of the songs, When You See My Blood, was a song that I'd written you know, during that time where I'd kind of like thrown everything away and I just took the parts that I really liked about it mm-hmm. and I kept it going. And that, that like, that songwriting process of, of like kind of go digging in and like 
back and taking the parts that you still like and getting rid of the rest. That's very like Carl Newman of the New Pornographers. That's a very like direct influence of like how he works where it's like, okay, well, you don't have to throw like the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. You know, like, so what is it about what you're working on that you don't like? And then find that thing and change it. You know, so if like, I like this part, but I don't like what's going on underneath it. Like I like this melody, but I don't like the chords. Change the chords and see what happens. If I like the chords, but I don't like the bass part, change the bass part, you know? And so that that was sort of how I found my way into being inspired for the next record in a time of feeling very not inspired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. I think that that like that searching for that kind of inspiration, something you can get excited about is really important, as is putting in the time and effort where that inspiration has somewhere to go. Like, I think both of those things are really important. Yeah, it's interesting. It's hard making stuff. It is hard making (laughs) stuff. It's super hard. It's super hard making stuff that you like. Yeah, it's, like, really hard. (laughs) I think, too, like, especially if you're, like, a young songwriter, imagine just every piece of work. If it's, like, if it's hard and you're learning your process to write something to begin with, I imagine you feel, like, quite an attachment to having to keep everything, which, like, isn't really the case or shouldn't be because, yeah, it's, like, not everything is quote-unquote good or you might not like it but yeah. if you're like oh I put all this time into it yeah now it exists yeah. yeah I think the I think the the trickiest one of the tricky trickier parts is letting go of things that I've put a lot of time into that aren't really serving me anymore yeah you know I think that that is like one of those lessons that like you like a life lesson mm-hmm. you know of like you know what like I put a lot of time and effort into this and I appreciate it for what it where it got me and what it did for me and like I would I like I don't need it anymore mm-hmm. so let's move on to something else mm-hmm. sorry that background noise is still construction oh, okay. yeah <laughs> it's interesting I remember anytime anyone talks about like having to just like get rid of something that yeah you put time into I think about my like first year ecom prof Emma just being like sunk cost like doesn't matter exactly sunk cost fallacy it's true yes. like it's yes. true yeah that, that totally yeah it, yeah I think that I've like I feel like I've come to a point and you know it just depends on what it is we're talking about but certainly with ideas and parts and things I've come to a point where I'm very like zen about like mm-hmm. they come and they go and that's just like I've said it already today, like that's just something I came up with today. If tomorrow would be something totally different that I would come up with. And that's fun and cool. And, you know, I think some people might find that daunting. Yeah, I <laughs> would also find that daunting. Yeah, yeah, right. And it is daunting. But you don't have, you know, if you, lo- if you love something, then don't change it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like yeah. you don't have to like keep beating something, you know, trying to find this perfect thing. Like if you love it. I think there's like this, um, one of the things that I try to listen for is like there's that little, there's no term for it, but I can't remember what it is right now, where the little voice, you have like this little voice inside your head that that will say whether you like something or not, even if it's not very loud. 
Mm-hmm. And and it's usually sort of like just kind of a feeling where you're like, you know, you, your kind of eyes move and you're like, hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, hmm. You know, something goes by and it's like, what was that? Like, why don't I like that? You know, what's wrong with that? And um, like being able to kind of pick up on that and then and changing without feeling bad about yourself. You know, I think that that's it's just like just such so part of it is is coming up with a whole bunch of stuff that you don't like and being able to kind of hold that feeling of not liking something which is an uncomfortable feeling and nobody likes it and you have to kind of like just kind of like hold it at bay and not take it personally and go like well what can I do to change it so that I do like it Mm -hmm. and then you work with that until you get something that you know you're mostly proud of and then at some point you just have to stop working on it you know yeah and then accept that you're probably only going to be happy with like you know 80 to 90 (laughs) percent of it and that you have to kind of stop at some point and be like well it's you know this is what I did at this time I did absolutely the best I could do time's up let's ship this puppy out the door yeah it's (laughs) it's kind of weird because when you do make stuff it's yeah, you're, like, never really satisfied with yourself, but also, like, weirdly defensive of yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you're protective. I think it's, like, worth being very protective of yourself in some ways. You know, I think protective of the creative self is super important, which is where, like, inspiration comes in, which is where, like, going to see other people do stuff that make you want to, like, create more. Mm -hmm. Like, being around people who are doing, like, creative things like you know taking time to really like carve out that time for you to like to create and like protect that part is is so important like your your like wellness and health and and like what you're eating and like how much sleep you're getting and like all of that stuff is like you know super important and all factors into how receptive you can be to what's going on I don't know if that made any sense but yeah it makes sense I mean I'll find out when I listen back (laughs) (laughs) yeah I agree (laughs) um to kind of switch directions so aside from being part of musical groups and projects yourself you also are heavily involved in kind of the business side yes of the industry as well with Oscar Street Records yeah could you kind of tell me about how that started and what it kind of means, I guess, to run a record label. Yeah, well, I um, I started Oscar Street Records a few years ago, like mm-hmm. at the end of 2016, so really like a couple years ago. I felt a couple things happened. Like, again, I feel like this is like a common thread where like something serendipitous will happen and it will kind of like spark an idea and then you kind of follow the idea or not, depending. <clears throat> and so, so there was this new funding that was announced with the province of BC Um, and I felt like you know there were a lot of artists on Vancouver Island who deserved to get some funding and sort of in the span of a couple of weeks I went from not really in any kind of real way considering starting a record label although I'd had the idea to like all of a sudden the record label had started (laughs) I felt like there were a lot of artists on Vancouver Island who were making really incredible music that I might in some way be helpful to that process of helping to get the records out into the world. I knew that I had a lot to learn. I knew that like I was very familiar with the artist side of things but not and and like had had been a part of many album releases 
but was never really kind of one of the, I was never really organizing it kind of in that kind of capacity where I was really sort of, um, I don't really know how to describe it because anyway, it isn't, <laughs> I, I guess I felt that when I started the label, there were just a lot of a few gaps that I didn't have mm-hmm. in terms of the back sort of like the like the how it all worked on on the industry side. Yeah. Okay. But I had but I had all this experience and I felt I could like I felt I could be helpful. So so I started the label and I think yeah, it's been it's been incredible. It's been such a cool thing um and I had no idea, you know, when I started it what what would be involved and I had a vague idea you know because I've you know been in music for a long time and I had I had an idea and I just felt that I could do it I don't know you know I don't know (laughs) so that's how the label started was was that cool yeah what do labels do (laughs) well labels um, do many things but they generally market Mm. releases so that means like I mean, if you're talking about like, it depends on the label and the big, you know, how big the label is, but often that just means like kind of help you help get the word out about the record. Mm -hmm. You're part of the team that helps do that. So sometimes a label will hire a publicist, which means a person who has a list of like media contacts (laughs) and to to help promote the record and, and let it get everybody to hear it. Um, we didn't do that like I didn't do that because I I sometimes uh feel that with like a band who's just starting out that would might just fall on deaf ears Mm -hmm. and so I really felt that the way to like approach it was to be really personal so I was really gonna like I was gonna individually kind of reach out and and like kind of tackle it from like a strategic sort of like rather than having sort of like a third party manage like a release Mm -hmm. in that kind of way where you have a publicist or you have somebody like whose job it is to like target radio stations like to like promote the record and send it to all the contacts at the radio stations and maybe the radio station will pick it up that's like a very valid way of doing it and we just I just decided that I felt that that I didn't know how helpful that was. I felt like it was going to be really expensive for the bands and I wasn't confident that the results were going to be there. So I did it all on my own for the first like, you know, kind of year or two. And that was very revealing. I don't know. It was really helpful to, to do it that way because we had a lot of really great successes that came from that way. And it also revealed the nuances of why that is a good approach. Why hiring a team who knows what they're doing, who has been doing it for a long time, like any expert that you get yeah. on your team, why that is valuable as well. You know, and it's sort of like, with music, there are so many different ways to do it. And especially these days where it's like, anything seems to kind of like go, yeah. you know, where it's just hard to know what the one, there's no one right way to do it. There is no answer to the question of like, how do I do this? Yeah, especially now. Especially now. Yeah. yeah. And like, there's no real way to do it. And so we were just trying a bunch of stuff, you know, and I had these theories and 
as you know from my experience you know and I felt like let's try this and see where this see how this goes and I have a feeling like we're going to get some good results and yeah and we did it's been like it's been really cool and now I'm sort of looking at where do you go from there you know how do you grow the label to be more effective for the artists on the label you know I think that's what the ultimate goal is is like being a good team member for your artists and your team you know so that you're bringing you're trying to bring the results like the like the like what you said you you would do and you're trying to do that so what I said I would do is like try to get people to hear this record you know and they're doing that too like that's what we're all doing yeah you know working together to like got got these beautiful records and so what are we all doing to get the word out about them mm-hmm. because they deserve they deserve to be heard because they're beautiful yeah. <laughs> who are some of the artists that you work with well we've got um Kristen Ludwig on the label Leighton Kramer um Peach Pyramid, Davers. Um, we've got my project, Front Person, mm-hmm. on the label. We've got a band um, called Cascade Falls from Vancouver. Um, they're, everybody's sort of like, I don't know, I, I, I tend to love music that has interesting songwriting, of course, based on my, like, you know, love of songwriting. And, you know, like, interesting sounds. And um, so those tend to be... The musicians I'm gravitated towards mm-hmm. I gravitate towards yeah I mean it makes sense because the only way that you can really push out music is if you're passionate about it yeah so yeah what are kind of some of the projects that you have coming up you know in the next year or so whether that's with your own work or with Oscar Street which is your work but yes. you, you know what I mean yeah um, yeah yeah um so yeah like a lot of things on the go um You've got, you know, like, I'm not sure when all of this, you know, but some tentative plans. Peach Pyramid has some new music that we're excited about. Uh, Kirsten Ludwig has some new music. Leighton Kramer has been working on music. Uh, So those are all Oscar Street Records uh, artists. Um, And then uh, working on a new front person record, like I'm writing for that for this year. Actually, we're gonna have an Oscar Street Records showcase. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. It's like it, it's just a show. It's a show. Mm-hmm. Oscar Street Records show on uh, July thirteenth at the Rubber Boot Club, which I'm okay, pretty excited cool. about. And then I'm currently uh, working on um, new pornographers, new record. So we're we're finishing that up for at some point. There's so much stuff on the go. I know there's a lot on the go. Yeah. There's a lot on the go. Yeah, but it's it's all good. Yeah. You seem like the kind of person that like functions well. You with know, a lot. sometimes because like, you've like really got it together. <laughs> I feel like I would be really. <laughs> I I feel like I get antsy and then I take on a lot of things and then they all like end up being due at the same time and then I'm like what have I done and then I scale back a little bit and then I do the same thing I have a bit of like a pattern of 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 like um I I think that 
especially this year, I've been really conscious about commitments because last year was really busy. And so this year I'm a little bit more like, okay, like I think that I think that everybody goes through that where you're just trying to man you're just there's no balance that mm-hmm. I think there's that's no such there's thing. no such thing as balance because things happen like that are out of your control so you just try your best to like balance all these things and you know sometimes I overshoot and sometimes I undershoot and that's just sort of like how how it goes and then you just kind of I try and like keep my commitments <laughs> the yeah, best that I can, you know. So that it's just all about kind of managing. And if, it, if things get kind of out of hand, it's okay. It's only mm-hmm. temporary. You can kind of dial it back. <laughs> I heard on a podcast once someone say, um, kind of with, you know, regard to like so important to find that quote unquote work life balance. They said, um, what did they say? They said you can have it all, just not at the same time. Right. Which. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it makes sense because I don't think work-life balance exists. Like, I don't know. I mean, no I way. feel the same way <laughs> that I don't find that it exists. But then I also kind of wonder, like, if it had to exist, exactly, I probably would make it exist. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, if I was feeling really, un- like, things were really unhealthy, then, then you know, it's, it's like, then, you d- then there's a certain priority I think maybe I just learned that from you know, kind of like being you know one of one of the caregivers for my mom was mm-hmm. that like the only way you can really be like d- do a good job is if you're okay yeah because if you're not okay then you can't then you can't yeah then you can't you can't look after other people so yeah if if you know I feel that that's really um super important so if if things like as busy as things get you know they're never so busy that no. you know that I'm like falling apart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so and I try try really hard. Yeah, to make that make sure that's because that's not helpful. No, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. We're all fine. We're all just doing our best. We're all just doing our best. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's all you can do. <laughs> that's all you can do. Um, where can people find you and Oscar Street and your projects? Yeah, well, um, you know, OscarStreetRecords.com and Oscar Street is um, like the short form of street. So mm-hmm. not the full. So you go OscarStRecords.com mm-hmm. um, and then you'll find a link to, you'll find like, you know, Peach Pyramid and Kirsten Ludwig and Leighton and Davers and Front Person and... Uh, Cascade Falls and then but but yeah go to oscarstreetrecords.com and you'll be able to find me and all the projects and then um, yeah we're like on all the social media like Oscar Street Records Instagram same thing with the short street um, Facebook it's all it's all around <laughs> it's all there yeah yeah and then you know um i have all the socials like for katherine calder and for front person and you know new pornographers we're all googleable mm-hmm. thank goodness for the google yeah <laughs> yeah all right well thank you so much thank you very Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode, and thanks again, Catherine, for coming onto the podcast. The music played during the episode's introduction was Catherine Calder's Who Are You off of her solo album, Bright and Vivid. Make sure you check out the show notes at the link in the description for more info. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. They really do help. And of course, if you have any topics that you'd like me to bring up with one of our next guests, you can either email me at offkey at membran.net or send me a message to either Membran Labs or Linsa Arnold on Instagram. Offkey and Fault Tolerant, our sibling podcast on tech and blockchain, are both produced by Membran Entertainment Canada, aka Membran Labs, a music services company that provides distribution services for the export of Canadian music. We are also exploring blockchain technology to create a more transparent and secure ecosystem for music's rights owners to get paid. If you're interested in recording your own podcast at Membran Labs, you can always find out more information on our website, www.membranlabs.com. I think that is it for today. I will play you out with Young Love by Front Person. Thanks, and see you all next Monday. Young love and old love left behind New love and old love not on my mind We made what we could out of what we had We leaned on each other